This episode of Geekville Radio is dedicated to the memory of Rutger Hauer. Geekville Radio. Hello again, all you geeks and geekettes. This is Seth, a.k.a. Zandrax, the mayor of Geekville and the host of Geekville Radio. We're continuing with our San Diego Comic-Con coverage that we started with in our last episode, which was devoted entirely to Marvel Phase 4 and the shows that and movies that have been talked about. And this episode, we're going to talk about some of the other stuff that caught our interest and things that we're sure will probably be the biggest hits out of San Diego Comic-Con. We'll start off with probably the biggest news, which will be Arrowverse, and then uh, we'll do some Marvel What If talk, and then we'll also talk the trailers that caught our eye, and I will have all the trailers that we talk about linked at the show notes at geekvilleradio.com slash 241. So if you just type in 241, just the number, after geekvilleradio.com, that should bring you to the long-form show notes if the summary in your podcast device is not sufficient enough. So, training, I I take it it's safe to say that the biggest news we probably got out of this was getting some news about the Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover. You know, the, the standard now CW-wide Arrowverse crossover because they teased it last December, I think it was, and we kind of wondered out loud at the time, how are they going to do this? Because it was one of the ideas going back a few years about all these different universes. So uh, first off, let me, I, I, me and my big mouth, I didn't let you introduce yourself. Uh, coming <laughs> coming at you from a nice so- soft padded cell in the asylum in South Kakalaki, Crazy Train Jonathan Bullock. All aboard, uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen. I do concur. I think uh, there was a lot of stuff that came out other than the Marvel but I think after Marvel, the most the most pertinent for geeks, at least, is the, the Flareoverse stuff. We obviously cover a lot of that here on the on the, these episodes. So uh, it was interesting to get some of the stuff we got. Uh, I, I was also intrigued because we all knew what for six months now they announced that this is going to be the final season of Arrow, and it's going to be a truncated season. It's not going to be a full uh, number of episodes. Uh, I've openly stated Arrow is my favorite. Of all the though Legends is really really close. It's sometimes even a little bit more in my eyes than Arrow. And for me personally, uh, we won't talk about it here on Geekville Radio, but we will talk about it on the next episode of Examining the Dead. Cheap plug. Uh, there was a lot of horror stuff that came out of Comic Con. Not that horror is unusual to be uh, revealed. You know, we got the reveal of uh, the Blair the Blair Witch movie last year, a couple years ago, that that shocked everybody because they just came. They did such a good job of covering it up. But there seemed to be more than usual coming out of this season. So we'll dedicate that to our horror show, examining the dead. All right, we will dive right into this. Our, our main event we'll do first because uh, <laughs> I am. Uh... Heeding the advice of the great uh, Dave Jackson, who reviewed the show over at Podcast Rodeo Show, I'm very thankful for his input. Just in case you want to hear somebody review this show, you can find it at Podcast Rodeo Show. But the Arrowverse, they did drop some of that now-confirmed news. They did show a sizzle reel for Arrow itself, which really, probably 90% of it, maybe a little less, was stuff from the first seven seasons. But there was clearly new footage of Josh Segarra, a.k.a. Adrian Chase, and Colin Donnell, a.k.a. Tommy Merlin. So if they are doing Crisis, which we know they are, that really shouldn't be too shocking, considering Ali is already familiar with other universes. So I think it's a pretty safe bet these are probably going to be uh, Adrian Chase and Tommy from different universes. You think that's a safe bet? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, though, I mean, more so with Tommy than with Adrian. Yes, I know Adrian was on the boat that blew up off the coast of Lian Yu, but at the same time, it's comic books, and what do we say all the time about deaths in comic books? Yep, nobody stays dead. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we never got a body for Adrian, as far as I can remember, have we? Yeah, I mean, he did shoot himself, but, you know, stranger things have happened. But I will throw this out here for my speculation. I think it is going to be an Adrian Chase from another world simply because in the comics, 
that when DC was running the title, Adrian Chase was vigilante. Vigilante was not somebody else. It, he actually was uh, a good guy vigilante. He was not uh, Prometheus. So I think yeah, we, he was more we, of an anti-hero, wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah, a- absolutely. Because, uh, I mean, as Prometheus, of course, he, he was mainly his beef was with Ollie. But in, in the comics, vigilante is one of those kind of like the Punisher is probably the best right. way to put it. You know, he's, he's DC's <laughs> Punisher. And to follow in, 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 you know, the typical pattern of the Arrowverse, in the comics, Prometheus is much more of a Batman villain mm-hmm. than he is a Green Arrow. But we've talked at length multiple times about how they've kind of seemed to just put a lot of Batman stuff into the Arrow, especially when it comes to villains and lesser known villains, mm-hmm. you know, and characters. Deathstroke is... Much more of a, of a Batman, really. I mean, Deathstroke is the main villain for Teen Titans, actually, in the comics. But he was the main villain in season two of Arrow, and quite well done by Man Who Bit It. I might add. I agree. Yeah, and uh, it'll be interesting to see if they do have the 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 good guy vigilante, like I said. And uh, Tommy, I I guess we'll we'll have to just kind of wait and see now. Another trailer that they showed, and we'll get to the the crisis stuff in a minute, but the main gist of the Flash Season 6 trailer was introducing the character of Ramsey Rosso, and he's a pretty new character in the DC universe. He actually was introduced in, I want to say, mid-2017, and his villain name is Bloodwork, and his whole gimmick is kind of like what Magneto could do with metal blood work can do with blood. So he can actually control people's blood, make them literally boil from the inside. So it'll be interesting to see where, where that goes. Uh, anything else about Arrow or Flash aside from Crisis that uh, struck you? No. I mean, just, I, I think it's cool they're introducing blood work, but I'm the, uh, you know, avowed DC guy here on Geekville Radio. You're the Marvel guy. And he is so new, I don't even know that much about him. So what does that tell you? <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. Well, what little I know, I think he's a cool villain. But I just mm-hmm. I haven't I'm I'm not we've said it before ne- neither of us are as as current as we should be on on uh you know more up to date comics um we tend to both I think wait until things are either compiled into you know trade paperbacks or read them online virtually so sometimes that puts us a little behind with the current storylines but you know it is what it is yeah quite frankly a little bit of a disclosure here usually when I pick up physical uh, comic copies. I usually tend to get the variant covers because the catch with those is you do not get the digital copy that you do with the standard one. But six months later, they're on Marvel Unlimited anyway. So I figure right. you know, a little bit of the best of both worlds, you might say. Yeah. And, and, and the full disclosure for me, I, I, I'll go ahead and just, just give you a little teaser for what's to come. I just, in the last week, finally broke down and got DC Universe. Uh, the only reason I didn't have it was because it was only available to stream through your computer, but they finally got an app for Xbox One, and all our listeners know, because I talk about it all the time, I do everything through my Xbox One, so now I can act, I'll actually be able to read current DC stuff on my TV you know, in a virtual format. So maybe that will hopefully put me uh, a little more current and I will be giving a review on a later episode of Geekville Radio about my thoughts on the app itself and what there is on the entire, you know, streaming service is it worth the 7.99 a, a month you pay for it. But that's something to look forward to folks in the future. <laughs> so with Crisis, I I think probably the biggest news, the one that threw me for the biggest loop, and we may disagree on this because while it's true they did not outright confirm it in dialogue or in press release, other than Brandon Routh is coming back as Superman, but anybody who looked at the Twitter feeds during San Diego Comic-Con saw the bit of Brandon Routh walking out on stage and he unbuttoned his shirt, and rather than just a Superman symbol on it. He had the Superman from Kingdom Come. So it seems to imply that he will be playing the Kingdom Come Superman. And I think that's pretty incredible if they're going to do that. I mean, did you have an opinion, at least as far as doing Kingdom right. Come? <laughs> oh, I would love for him to do it, but I'm going to be the voice of dissension like I usually am on this show. <laughs> um, I, I think this is just me. I think the scenario went down like this. 
hey, Brandon, we want to reveal at, at San Diego Comic-Con you're going to be reprising the role of Superman. Okay, how do we want to do that? Well, why don't you get a Superman shirt and put it on underneath a button-up shirt, and then when the time comes, you'll know you can stand up and reveal the shirt underneath. And so Brandon went out, who is by his own admission not a huge comic book fan, and just bought the best Superman shirt that looked good on him. And it just happened to be the kingdom come. I also, and, or, you know, the people that, at, that were running the panel for DC told one of their runners, one of their gophers, Hey, go get a shirt that looks good on Brandon that has a Superman logo on it. And they just happened to grab one that, you know, had the kingdom come. So, so my point is, I think whoever picked out the shirt had no idea of the significance of that particular Superman symbol. It just looked good on Brandon, but I'm being the dissenter here. I could be wrong. You know, um, I just, I just know that, that we as fanboys want to fanboy onto everything. I talk about that all the time and I think we might be reading too much into it. And that the, a lot of the people involved, now, obviously Berlanti and Guggenheim and those people, they're fans of the source material and they read, but a lot of their staff probably don't, you know, they're just, they're in the entertainment business, but I could be wrong. I, I would be happy with the kingdom. And, and I, I told you when we discussed this off mic, I would look it up. Uh, I did uh, in the Marvel or sorry, in the DC multiverse, the earths are numbered earth dash. And then a number like we know that earth dash 10 or earth X is the one from what two crossovers ago where Superman wound up landing in Germany and helped the Nazis win. And now the Nazis run the world. Right. So, so that's like earth 10. I believe the kingdom come. If I looked it up, I'm trying to remember. I'm not, I don't have my notes in front of me. He is earth 22 is the kingdom come, uh, earth, um, or earth 22 might be the one where all the heroes are vampires from the black Batman, uh, uh, blood rain, uh, Storyline. I can't. It doesn't matter. But there mm-hmm. is a there is a completely world that is completely dedicated in the DC multiverse to the Kingdom Come storylines. You know, so um, that does mean an older um, soups. You know, and in that right. storyline, uh, Superman has grown his hair long and pulls it back in a ponytail. Kind of has the Reed Richards salt and pepper on his sideburns area. Uh, even has a beard for a while and. Um, you know, he has gotten so powerful uh, from living or staying at the Fortress of Solitude for so long. He's absorbed so much yellow sunlight that he's impervious to kryptonite now. Mm-hmm. And he still so, manages to cut himself with Wonder Woman's magic sword. <laughs> right, because he still is weak to magic. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it, it's um, I, I don't know if Brandon's quite as old in, in, you know, as what we see in the comics, but if they do want to go that route, it's be easy to age him up. You know, you could do it CGI or maybe a little bit of prosthetics for crow's feet and, you know, a little bit of makeup on, on his hair to make it a little more salt and pepper. But um, I found it interesting that, you know, of course, we're all excited. He was essentially supposed to be the George Reeve or sorry, Christopher Reeve Superman in Superman Returns. That right. was supposed to be the same the same continuity. Correct. You're the big you're the yeah. big Superman fan on that one. So, you know, that's basically saying the movie that we grew up with in the 70s, that's the Kingdom Come world, the Kingdom Come Earth, if, that's, if, if they go this route, right. um, that, which would be kind of cool. Uh, then again, he could be playing a completely different Superman than he already played in the movies. We don't know that either. I do know he said in an interview, I don't know if you saw this interview, it was after the panel, and he made a good point. Uh, he is very excited because he gets to say hello and goodbye to this beloved character in a way he was never able to do with just the one-off of Superman Returns. And he talked about when he got cast in that role, uh, rightfully so, but he was a young, a little bit arrogant actor thinking, well, you know, they're hiring me to play Superman. This is going to be a franchise. I'm going to be doing these movies for years. I I mean, if I was hired to play Superman, I would be thinking the same thing too. And then it was only a one-off because it didn't do well. And so he never, like you say, he never really got to say goodbye to the, to the character for himself or the fans, and this gives him an opportunity to do that. So I think Brandon's going in with the right mindset for sure. Yeah, and the way I like to put it, you know, trying to be the optimist in the whole thing here, the absolute worst <laughs> case scenario is you're right, and we still get Brandon Routh as Superman. You know, I don't think too many people would, would care about that, but you hit the nail on the head with why I am excited about that because if it is supposed to be Kingdom Come. And yeah, that would imply that 
it is the Christopher Reeve Superman because Brandon Routh's Superman and Christopher Reeve Superman were one and the same. It would kind of be a nice send off. And how I like to put it is we'd be giving a final actual on screen farewell to the Christopher Reeve Superman. And if that's what they're doing, you know, I'm, I'm practically doing backflips over it. But if they don't do it and we just get another Brandon Routh Superman alongside, uh, Tyler Hecklin, that's fine too. You know, they, they, it, it's been abundantly clear that you don't have to be the same actor playing the same character because just in Flash alone, John Wesley Shipp played Henry Allen, Barry's father. He played Jay Garrick from Earth 3. And in another Earth, he was an aged Barry Allen Flash. So from the which was uh, my understanding was supposed to be the same Barry Allen he played in the 1990s television series. Exactly. Yeah. Which I mean, the Flash of all other than the Green Lanterns, the Flash is the one character because of the Speed Force thing in D.C. that probably has the most incarnations. Maybe Robin, too. You know, so it's uh, I don't know if you're the if you're the optimist, does that make me the pessimist? <laughs> I guess so, or maybe the realist. Well, you know? <laughs> I, it doesn't matter. I don't care. I've been, I've, I have been labeled as worse. Okay, um, right. I, I'm. With, I concur, though. I think it doesn't matter. I think we all are excited. I think Brandon Ralph was a good Superman. He just didn't have a great script to work with. You know, right. And I, I know it's not popular to say nowadays because of what he's going through. But I thought Kevin Spacey was great as Lex Luthor. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, since it was a direct sequel to the. Christopher Reeve Superman, they effectively went on to continue with those characters. And the way mm-hmm. uh, Kevin Spacey played that, you totally could see Gene Hackman doing the same thing. Sure. And uh, full disclosure, I'm going to say it publicly now, and this is with all due respect to Tyler Hecklin and Dean Kane and Henry Cavill and Brandon Routh, Christopher and George Reeve. Christopher Reeve will always be superman to me always Mm -hmm. he is and that's not taking anything away from any of those actors i just named christopher reeve was and will always be superman in my eyes i'm sure you're not alone in that thought now one other piece of info there's a couple uh well as i go through my checklist here we did hear that tom cavanaugh will again be playing a different incarnation of wells now whether this is the same <laughs> wells that's gonna, yeah that's going to be in crisis we don't know but they did say that one of his dr wells's will be the character pariah who if you know the crisis storyline he's kind of the person that brings about the yep. anti-monitor so he's he's kind of the the uh this is probably not the best analogy, but it's the first one that comes to mind because I don't want to sound like I'm insulting somebody by comparing them to Jar Jar Binks. Because in episode two, Attack of the Clones, Jar Jar is the one that puts forth the motion to give Chancellor Palpatine the emergency powers, which then, of course, leads to Palpatine becoming emperor and dissolving the Senate and that whole bit. So Jar Jar Brinks is indirectly responsible for the creation of the Empire and the Clone Wars and thus the wiping out of the, the Jedi. Pariah is indirectly responsible for the crisis happening in the first place. Uh, well, one, Jar Jar was kind of manipulated by, by Palpatine himself for it to happen. And two, uh, just call him the catalyst. It's supposed to be- <laughs> that's, that's probably <laughs> a better way, yeah. But the Star Wars analogy, this is Geekville Radio, so it, it is apropos. But <laughs> just look at Pariah as the catalyst if all that Star Wars talk was something you didn't want to hear. <laughs> right. And re- regarding Anti-Monitor, it was revealed that LaMonica Garrett, who played the Monitor during the Elseworlds crossover, he will be doing double duty. He'll be Monitor and Anti-Monitor. He's just going to be physically like a, a more monochrome Right. Version the color, of the color patterns will be different. Right. And the only other thing really about Arrowverse, and there's a big one about Crisis, but I, I forgot to mention it earlier. You know how the last season of Arrow, they instead of doing flashbacks, they've been doing flash forwards. Forwards. Yeah, they are going to have an adult version of JJ, you know, John Diggle's son. So we will see him. And the other thing about Crisis is it's been revealed that Burt Ward will be in that as presumably as an old Dick Grayson, an older version of Robin, because his Batman in his world is 
dead. So it'd be curious to see if they somehow try to make it where it's the, the Adam West Batman. Right. Well, you do know that in the comics, I guess it's how many years has it been now? Maybe 10, maybe less. There is a title in DC called Batman 66, right. which is set in the Adam West, Burt Ward, you know, TV. So the characters are drawn the same way. The, um, the villains, you know, it's written in, in the same kind of campy style. Um, and there is, and I, I, in my research to find out which earth the kingdom come was on, I was trying to find that and I can't, but I, I'm almost positive. There is a earth in the DC multiverse that is the Batman 66, you know, universe. So in that universe, you know, green air, a green Hornet and Cato exists. If you go to listen to our sister podcast about the green Hornet, we talk about that. Uh, you know, uh, I, I don't know of any other superheroes existing in that world, and I have not read the comics, though I've heard I would enjoy them. Um, and, and if you think about it, Burt Ward is the only regular cast member who's still alive. Uh, I mean, Adam West is no longer with us. Uh, I think Avon Craig has passed away, so there's no Batgirl. Yeah, um, Cesar Romero. Uh, you know, Cesar. Yeah, and that's just, yeah, that's not just the heroes. You talk the villains. I think the only villain left with Julie Newmore, I think, might still be alive. And I think she might be the only one. Yeah, and I, think, I think she's in her 80s. But, yeah, I think she's still kicking. Yeah, yeah, but Eartha Kitt's passed away. Lee Merriweather's passed away. Uh, like I said, Cesar Romero, Burgess Meredith. Uh, Frank John Gorshin. Aston, Frank Gorshin, John Aston. So all your regular uh, – Victor Buono, uh, uh, Vincent Price. All mm-hmm. of those, are they're gone. So if they're going to do the – Kingdom Come, Superman, with Brandon Routh. I know in the comics they're not the same Earth, Kingdom Come Earth and Batman 66 Earth. But Nightwing is fairly important in the Kingdom Come storyline. He's part of Superman's group, whereas Red Robin the Tim Drake is a part of Batman's group. Why not just combine the two and have an older aging Nightwing slash Robin as in that world? That's just a thought I had. It's simple and it covers all the bases. Sure, sure. And I, I, I think you run the risk, and I said this before about Crisis, Crisis on Infinite Earths. Uh, we've talked about it at length all the time. They've got our money. We're comic book geeks. We watch this stuff. It's making it adaptable to the, to, to the casuals. It's important. You can put too many Earths in there and too many parallel uh, worlds in the multiverse, and it could get a bit confusing. This is a way to have to consolidate two worlds into one. Just a thought. Yeah, and really, and we've mentioned on the air before, and anybody who knows the Crisis storyline knows this, if they are truly going to go by how Crisis ended, then they're effectively ending Supergirl and Flash as well, because both those characters died in Crisis. Now, Flash died saving the world, and they've been teasing that going all the way back to the first season of Flash, where he Mm -hmm. disappears. I mean, that's exactly right out of crisis and then of course uh, supergirl died about halfway through right but this is i think i personally think if they go that route i think this is a way to come out of it with kara no longer being on a um separate earth from ollie barry and the legends that's what i think this is a, be a way to bring her into our into was it earth one i think they call it yeah earth on one is considered the prime earth yeah Right. So, you know, I could be wrong, but I, 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 I don't know. I've heard no rumors about them canceling Flash or Supergirl, but I've been very vocal in the fact that Supergirl has become the hardest to watch for me. And there's only so many stories you can do uh, with. Uh, well, I've talked about this at length before, so I don't need to go on about it, but you get my point. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You can only do so much where you just uh, take Superman stories and adapt them to. Supergirl. Right. I mean, you take they've, they've done a bunch of those. There are some Supergirl stories they could do. I don't see them bringing Power Girl in, though I'd love that. So uh, it, let's put it this way. Would I shed a tear if, if Supergirl got killed and the show was canceled? No. Would I be upset? Yeah, I mean, I'd miss it, but I'm not going to be as upset as I am about when I found out Arrow was ending. But everything has to end at some point. That's just, it is what it is. Agreed. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to dive into some of the other trailers that we talked about. Uh, This is Geekville Radio, and we'll be right back. Are you looking for a gaming-themed podcast? Then check out You Just Got Fragged. 
Join host Jared Opry and his panel of gaming enthusiasts as they discuss news and accomplishments in the gaming world, and of course, the gripe of the week. That's all at YouJustGotFragged.com, part of the Wrestling Brethren podcast family. All right, we are back talking the rest of San Diego Comic-Con and the trailers we saw it. Now, <laughs> I'm almost kind of uh, lying here a little bit because I said we're going to talk trailers. And the first one that we're going to talk didn't really have a trailer, although it did have a pitch. And it's easy to see why they didn't have a trailer. It's because it's an animated series that is only in its beginning stages. But Marvel did say at Comic-Con that they are going to have a Marvel's What If series on the Disney streaming service, Disney+. And for fans who may not know the What If line, it's an on-again, off-again title that is essentially an anthology. Each issue had its own self-contained story. And it was different spins on past famous Marvel stories, like one that I had retold the debut of Wolverine facing off against the Hulk in that uh, Hulk 180 and 181. But it takes the approach of what if Wolverine won? What if Wolverine succeeded in killing the Hulk? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and it goes on to say that in, in the in the end, without a Hulk, a lot of other stuff that might have been avoided uh, happened. And in short, Magneto makes Wolverine stab himself with his own claws. So, uh Kind of a kind of a quick ending to Wolverine at the end of that one, but I'm that's a spoiler alert on a forty year old magazine uh, title. But the thing with the What If series for Disney Plus is it's not going to adapt stories from the comics, so we're not going to see Wolverine and we're not going to see stuff like uh, Punisher becoming Captain America and stuff like that. We are going to see stuff from the Infinity Saga, so it's all going to be stuff based on those initial three phases. And the best part is that the existing MCU actors, the vast majority of them, as far as the characters, are coming back to voice the characters. So if we get Iron Man, it probably really will be RDJ, Chris Evans as Cap, and and the whole nine yards. So while I can see how some fans might be disappointed that we're not getting adaptions of some of the past stories, you really can't scoff too much at the concept of them doing the... Infinity Saga stuff, because that's what most of the non-comic fans are going to be familiar with. I mean, do you think that's fair to say? Oh, yeah, I totally agree. Uh, I mean, I I personally, for me, my favorite what-if story was what if Spider-Man got the power cosmic? Okay, if you ever read that one. Mm -hmm. And the the reason I loved it so much was the power cosmic was was able to essentially purge the symbiote suit from him. And it still found its way to uh oh what's his name venom the first Mm -hmm. venom eddie brock yeah eddie brock Brock. and so there's a one-off at the end of it where there's a there's just one one you know panel one cell on the page and it said and the outcome about the the, you know the outcome of this is that the the crime the 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 crime doers in new york will find their new uh friendly web slinger not so friendly and it's a picture of venom getting ready to attack like two muggers <laughs> and mm-hmm. the sheer look of terror on their face i'm going yeah venom's a little bit different than peter parker spider-man but i digress <laughs> mm-hmm. well to give fans an idea of what they're going to be doing as far as exploring other possibilities in the infinity saga it's been revealed that the first episode will be what if Peggy Carter became Captain America. So Steve either does not survive the process or just isn't chosen and Peggy herself takes the super soldier serum. So we have a female Captain America. And I think that's an interesting enough concept on paper that it would intrigue people who watch the cat movies. I mean, it does for me, at least. All I heard was Haley Atwell. That, 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 <laughs> the rest that doesn't even matter to me. You know me and Haley Atwell. More Haley Atwell is okay with me. Roll tight on that. Um, But but the uh, other trailers, uh, once again, I'll have them linked in the show notes, geekbillradio.com slash 241. They did show for the Netflix series, The Witcher. Now, I'm not familiar with this title as a lot of other people. I did watch the trailer. It seemed very kind of D&D-ish, so to speak, maybe a little bit of Game of Thrones in there, maybe a little bit of horror elements because it's dark. 
But this is the project that Henry Cavill was doing, and he's front and center in this trailer, that this is uh, allegedly what kept him from doing the cameo in Shazam and why in Shazam we actually only got Superman from the shoulders down in his appearance. So uh, do you know anything uh, about The Witcher as far as the background and does this look yep. okay? Because I've heard people say there's no way they could have done it justice. And then I'm hearing people say, oh, they did ju- do it justice. Uh, yeah, it is definitely not something that can be done as a two-hour movie, I don't think. Uh, I'll, I'll go into a little more detail and examine the dead because it does have a lot of dark fantasy elements. Uh, Witcher was actually a series of novels, of dark fantasy novels. But what made it probably more known in the public eye was it was successfully turned into a fairly successful video game franchise. As a matter of fact, my oldest daughter, this is probably... I don't know if it's her favorite video game, but it's in her top two. It's either this or um, Elder Scrolls. I'm not sure which one. Um, but the character that Henry Cavill is playing is the Witcher. He is essentially a witch hunter. He uh, has supernatural powers that allow him to uh, hunt down dark, you know, evil creatures and destroy them. So that's there. There you go. That's the basis. That's there. I, I, can't really tell you much more than that because i've never played the game only thing i remember is being a big fan of the batman arkham video game series uh they introduced wasn't the first time it was introduced but it was probably the most well known the detective mode where you clip on on your controller and batman's cow allows you to see through walls and see the heart rates of of bad guys well they use a similar mechanic in the in the next witcher game and everybody you know, it was like, oh, wow, they're just stealing off Batman. But, you know, that game was – Batman Arkham Asylum was – it changed the game. It, it is – and when I may say that, I mean I don't mean the game Arkham Asylum. It changed the paradigm of video games and some of the mechanics in them, and The Witcher was just one of the ones that happened to be that, you know? It changed the landscape is probably the best way to put it. Right, right. I mean, and the two biggest things that came out of it – and there's also some of this in The Witcher, by the way, as the video game – is it changed the way combat was done. Because they created this free flow, you know, combat to make you, quote unquote, feel like the Batman, where you can just chain together attacks and counters, you know, and if your timing is right, you can have a long chain where you never get hit, and you never miss. Uh, and then the, the detective mode, in other words, you clip onto something and you, you can see, you know, key elements in the environment and, you know, stuff like that. So Witcher was not the only game series that did that. Some of the later Assassin's Creed titles did that. And they were an established franchise and Shadows of Mordor and just other stuff. They've all done it. So that's the that's the most I know about The Witcher. Uh, I've never read any of the books. I've seen my daughter play the game. Uh, I probably would like it because of the dark fantasy elements to it. But, I mean, Henry Cavill looks the part from the trailer. I can tell oh, you that. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> you know, and and I, I I've we've said it before. I'll say it again. There is a there is a good Superman movie in Henry Cavill's future. He's just got to get the right script because he's got the he's got the look down. You know. Agreed. I've said that myself. But going down the list here, uh, Watchmen. I think we knew this going in, but this take on Watchmen is not an adaption of the classic comic series, nor is it a continuation of the movie. It, it, it's essentially another story taking place in the same world, so to speak, in that Watchmen world. So do you think people are going to bite on that concept, or do you think it might backfire? Well, I mean, it is on HBO, which helps. You know, HBO has high production values. And let's face it, a Watchmen story has to be rated R, quite frankly. Exactly. Uh, I mean, they're not running away from it. They did show uh, what seemed to be Dr. Manhattan in it and uh i think jeremy irons is playing an older adrian Veidt, which i think is awesome you know him as an older aging osmandius i think is great because well it's jeremy irons he's just incredible mm-hmm. regina king is you know very well known she's the she seems to be the main star uh i, I found it interesting that the gene smart for those out there who watch designing women you know she was charlene uh, her character introduces herself in the, this clip of the trailer as Detective Blake, which in that universe means she's got to be related to the comedian because the comedian uh, is uh, oh, what is his first name? I can't, but his last name's Blake. You know, comedian of course was the role that that pretty much essentially gave uh, you know Jeffrey Dean Morgan his geek cred to begin with before long before The Walking Dead. So. Um, I think it'll be okay. I, I don't know. It, it, 
Watchmen is a very dark and twisted universe. I enjoy it, but I mean, it's, it's, it is what it is. It's, um, it's not for everybody, but if it's going to find a home, it's probably HBO is probably a good place for it to land. I think, you know, take true blood, for example, the, the Southern vampire mysteries, which is what the novels that true blood are based on are very different than true blood, but both were highly successful. So I think HBO has a good track record at taking genre niche stuff and then dumbing, I don't want to say dumbing it down, but, but making it more palatable, I guess, for the, the masses and then having a hit out of it. So if anybody's going to do it right, it's probably going to be HBO. And like you said, uh, it has to be R-rated. So HBO is an, another, yet another good reason why it landed there. And really with Watchmen, uh, for those that may not know, uh, the whole idea is it was essentially kind of like how Dark Knight Returns was a retelling of the Adam West Batman, or an update, I should say. Watchmen mm-hmm. was kind of a dark update to classic Charlton Comics characters, correct? Right, yeah. What happened was Carlton, uh, Charlton Comics had a lot of characters. The most prominent be- that we probably know are The Question and Blue Beetle. But uh, and Alan Moore is it Alan or Grant Morrison? Is it Grant Morrison? Alan Moore? Uh, it was Alan Moore. Yeah, it was Alan. Moore. Alan Moore. Sorry, the really. I mean, remember. Let me say this about the watch, but about Alan Moore. Anytime we talk about anything, Alan Moore, he's a genius. But remember, he is a dude who worships a, a, a four thousand year old snake god. So just take it for what it's worth when you when you're dealing with Alan Moore. <laughs> but um, anyway, uh, Al, it, it, he wanted to do a story based on Carlton comic characters and the higher ups at DC told him, no, we're going to introduce them into the DC proper and just integrate them into Canon. So he did the Watchmen instead where he took characters and made pastiches of Carl old Carlton character. Like night owl is supposed to be blue beetle. Rorschach is supposed to be the question. Um, yeah. The question. Yeah. And that's what he did. It was, it was kind of the kind of, you know, the compromise the two of them came up and quite frankly, it was a good compromise for all parties because it became a smash hit for Alan Moore as a writer and really put a rocket on his back and made a ton of money for DC. So it was win-win for everybody. Really if you think about it. Absolutely. So, uh, I haven't had HBO since I was like a teenager, so I'm probably <laughs> not going to be watching this live. I mean, if it gets enough interest, I might, you know, get a DVD season collection or something like that. So, well, I'm wondering if this is going to be one of those things that after it's had its initial run on HBO, I'll be able to watch it on the DC Universe streaming stuff, you know? Interesting thought. Yeah, because they do have a lot of the old other DC stuff that – Well, they have you – know, have Warner right Brothers, now, I should say, yeah. Yeah. Right now, you can watch the Zack Snyder Watchmen movie, and you can also – in fact, I watched it the other night. You can watch the Under the Hood uh, which was actually a, a thirty a thirty minute bonus feature for the DVD release of Watchmen, where it's uh, uh, ostensibly supposed to be uh, a sixty minutes twenty twenty type of news show uh, talking to Hollis Mason, who was the original the original Night Owl in in that mythos. So it's 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 framed as you're actually watching like a a news clip from a sixty minute show. Because the one thing Watchmen does do, and I think it will come out in this show, and it definitely seems that way from the trailer, everything is presented as is on the real. Because that's kind of the concept Alan Moore was going for, was what if superheroes and mass vigilantes really existed in the real world? You know, what, what, what would our reaction be? Right. And so all due respect to the Marvel guys and the whole idea of the Registration Act or the Sokovia Accords, whatever you want to call them, whether you're talking comics or movies, the Keen Act that outlawed mass vigilantes from the Watchmen outdated all of them by, what, 10, 15 years? Something like, yeah. So this is not a concept that comic book writers hadn't been thinking about before that. I mean, I, once again, I hate to, to, to you know squash the, 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 the love fest of Marvel fans, but I drink your tears when it comes to that one. DC was well ahead of y'all on that one. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> One trailer that caught everybody by surprise, I mean, we heard it was coming, but it was a surprise debut at Comic-Con, was Top Gun Maverick. And I had originally heard that this Top Gun update, I mean, it was always that Tom Cruise was going to be part of it, but it looks like this is just flat out 30 years later. You know, Maverick's whatever he's doing 
And he's not, it's not a cameo. It looks like he's front and center in this. It looks like it's going to be maybe a career retrospective for the Maverick character. That's why it came across to me, at least. Right. Uh, I don't know. Of course, Ed Harris was the other major actor we saw in the trailer. And uh, I'm, I'm a huge Ed Harris fan, by the oh, way. Yeah. I, 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 I kind of gather this feeling that he's supposed to be playing the same character that was in the original was the short, bald guy, you know, that kept. He's the one that's built the coffee on his shirt when when he did when he buzzed the tower. Remember that? And he yeah. he just went on the tire. I want some butts. I I wonder if that's supposed to be the same character. It, it might not be, but I did find it interesting. Other than there were flashbacks in this trailer to clips from the original movie, so we we saw some goose. We saw some Meg Ryan, you know, uh, Goose's wife. We didn't see, we didn't see any Val Kilmer. We didn't see any Kelly McGillis. I wonder if they're going to be in this, you know. Uh, actually, we can confirm because she has confirmed it. Kelly McGillis is not in this. So, uh, but they just, they never asked. That's, that's, that's I, what I heard anyway. They just, they never asked her to come on. I was kind of waiting for the, you know, like they always had that little twist at the end of trailers nowadays. Mm-hmm. I was kind of waiting for that to be that flight scene where you see them coming over the horizon and you see another jet come up next to Maverick and it's Iceman being his wingman, you know? Right. Uh, but we never got that. Though I, I mean, I don't think Val Kilmer would turn it down. I, I, I personally, I don't care if I see Kelly McGillis's character or not, but I kind of would like to see Iceman, you know, uh, maybe, maybe because he is so by the book, maybe he is that two-star admiral that Maverick should be, but he's still just a captain as they refer to in it. I don't know. There was a funeral scene, so we don't, somebody's going to die, you know, and it shows, it shows Maverick in his dress blues. So there's probably going to be, or I think it was blues. I don't think it was his whites. So obviously he's going to be, you know, there's good, there's somebody's going to die. And, um, I, I don't know if you caught it, but it looked like John Hamm is in this as well. Yes. Like he was an instructor. Uh, looked like he was playing an instructor at Top Gun. So mm-hmm. I, I think uh, he could pull off the military guy really well. I think he'll do good. I, I'm a big John Hamm fan too, by the way. So mm-hmm. we'll see. I mean, uh, maybe it wouldn't surprise me if they have uh, a couple extra things that 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 they didn't show. But uh, I, I'll, I'll put it this way: it, it surprised me. I, I was expecting some sort of remake or redo that Tom Cruise just had a cameo in. That's what I was expecting. This looks much better than that. I kind of, what I was thinking they were going to do was make Maverick an instructor at Top Gun. And this is going to be about him mentoring a new class to, to, to maybe make it like a franchise. But Mm -hmm. it seems like I was wrong too, you know? Yep. Now Terminator Dark Fate is another one that was kind of a surprise because the thing is, is Arnold and Linda Hamilton, I think did, did a panel as part of that. And the big news for this that I think is probably a sigh of relief for me, and I'd like to hear your thought on a train, is uh, for the first time since Terminator 2, James Cameron is involved. You know, I don't mm-hmm. think he had anything to do with the last three or four movies. And I make no secret about this. I mean, I'll enjoy a, a movie that maybe a lot of people won't enjoy. I, I still say to this day, I actually liked the 2016 all-female Ghostbusters. You can you know, say what you want about that, but I was entertained by it. The last Terminator, Terminator Genesis, I, the only way I could enjoy it was if I took it as comedy. Like, you know, I was expecting Doc and Marty to show up in the DeLorean saying, <laughs> we got to make things right. You know, that would have been the perfect punchline to that movie. But, it's one of those, what did, what did you do, Barry? One right, of those things, right? right, exactly. You know, and... So now with this one, with Cameron being involved and Linda Hamilton is back, it looks kind of like what they might be doing with Halloween. You know how Halloween, when they did it last year, it was a sequel to the original and ignored everything else. This looks like it's a sequel to T2 and just ignoring everything else uh, after that. Does that uh, seem to you? Yeah, Yeah, it does. I mean, first off, let me say – I think James Cameron is an arrogant asshole, and I'm not a big fan of many of it. I mean, Titanic, I think, was just a, you know overblown. I I am I am in the minority. I hated Avatar, um, but I I will say this: James Cameron knows how to do tam- Terminator movies. I will give him that, you know. Mm-hmm. So that that is a, that is a plus for me, and I I think it hasn't been hidden that. The studio Paramount wants to get that bad taste out of the fans' mouth after Genesis because it really did. I mean, the first two, I mean, I, there is an argument that T2 is one of those rare exceptions where the sequel is as good or better than the original, you mm-hmm. know? 
that's a very small class. Like, you know, like maybe Empire's better than New Hope. Godfather 2 might be better than Godfather 1. That, you know, it's a very small group of really good films that can be said about. And T2, opposed to the Terminator, is, you know, a possibility. With that being said, I didn't mind T3, Rise of the Machine. I didn't mind it that much because it seemed to still be within the same continuity, the same storyline with Skynet was coming on. Everything after that was just a joke, you know, and it just progressively got worse. And so I'm thinking that maybe that's to get that, that bad taste out of our mouth is why they're doing this. And let's be honest, your analogy to, to Halloween 2018, I think it's valid. I, I, I think this was already slated before they started making Halloween, but the success of Halloween and the, the the really good job that Jamie Lee Curtis did in that movie probably opened up some eyes in Hollywood to maybe we can take some of these older franchises, bring back the original actors, and show women as older. And that's okay because that's always been you know a, a thing in Hollywood. There's only two kinds of actresses. There's the young, you know, voluptuous, good-looking ones, which Linda was when the originals were made, or there's the the very stately you know, um, uh, regal almost roles. That's exactly that are for the like, word I was looking for. Regal. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's the, the Dame Judy Dench and, and I guess Meryl Streep's at that point now, you know, and Kathy Bates is kind of there. And like the only one that seems to be the available to avoid that is probably Angela Bassett because she hasn't aged in 40 years. Uh, mm-hmm. and even, even she gets that with being, you know, the queen of Wakanda, right? She's playing an older role in the MCU. So, I think that with one of the good things to come out of the, the social political changes of our time is that we are willing to accept older women uh, who were, uh, you know, attractive in their youth as attractive but aged women now. And I think this is an example of that. You know, uh, Linda Hamilton has not aged as well as Jamie Lee Curtis, in my opinion, but she's still, from what I saw, looks like she could kick some ass, and yeah. that's kind of the whole point of Sarah Connor. After after Terminator One, she becomes a kick-ass character, you know. So agreed. Yeah. You know, uh, so it, it yeah, it definitely looks like the best one since at least three, if not if not two, because they're definitely going with the furthering of the technology. We're probably getting to the point where Skynet is just about to manifest itself again, assuming again that they're they're ignoring Genesis, but. Uh, I would, I would, I just, yeah. just, <laughs> I you would, know. but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. I mean, the, the fact that Arnold is so gung ho about this, uh, I, I think is also a good sign. So, uh, speaking of 20 or 30 year updates, we've heard about this for a while, but we finally got the trailer or you might say the behind the scenes look as well. And that's the dark crystal age of resistance. Now I will freely admit that I, didn't get Dark Crystal uh, when I first saw it because I saw it when it about the time it came out. So you know, it definitely was not made with ten year old kids in mind. I mean, maybe it was to an extent, but that is that other side of Jim Henson that we didn't get to see very much of uh, when he was alive. But he always believed that puppetry could be used for an older audience. And when I say older, I don't mean like what we saw in uh, Happy Land Murders or anything like that. I mean, just something that is complex for a mature audience. And that's kind of what Dark Crystal was. And what I really like about this Age of Resistance is it they could have gone the easy route and done CGI characters and done that kind of revamp, but they stuck with the premise of using puppetry. So I'm sure there's going to be CGI that you're probably not even going to notice because it's so seamless. But it looks like the bulk of the craftsmanship in this is going to be using puppetry and puppets. So I, I'm very glad that they went that route, and I think a lot of fans are too. Oh, yeah. Uh, I have a very spot, special place in my heart for Dark Crystal. I'm a little older than you. Uh, so when it came out, I remember my father took me to see it. And I think I was right in the, right in the demographic, and you were just on the cusp of it for what they were shooting for. Right. I think they were shooting for that that tween to young teenager, you know, that 12 to 15, 16 year old audience. And so I was like 13 or 14 when it came out, you know, so I was right in the middle of that. And as I'm reminded when I saw this behind the scenes, how we often forget how much of a genius and a craftsman Jim Henson truly was. 
I think they would do him a disservice and his memory a disservice if they didn't go the route of using mostly puppets because he was amazing in what he could do with those, you know, and having Simon Pegg attached to it to be the voice is not a bad thing because he's kind of a hot actor. So that helps, too. I'm very looking forward to it. I, I, it sounds like you are as well. Are you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, obviously, I have Netflix, so it'll be easy for me to to check it out. So can't say I'll be watching it opening weekend because there's like four or five other Netflix series that I still need to <laughs> dive into, such as uh, like Disenchantment. So, you know, it, it'll go on the dock. You still haven't even caught up on Luke Cage yet, have you? Uh, I saw. Yeah, I saw the second season. Uh, there, there, there wasn't a third one, right? Yeah. Okay. It's the third season of uh, Jessica Daredevil. Jones that I have to watch. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That one only dropped a few weeks ago, about a month ago. So you're not that far behind then. Yeah. But I am behind in a couple other. All right. Well, this one I can talk a lot about as well, uh, which is Jay and Silent Bob reboot as we go down the list here. Once again, the list will be at geekvilleradio.com slash 241 because this looks to be a direct sequel to Jane Silent Bob Strike Back, which came out in, I think, 2003, 2004. And I still remember reading reviews because this was about the time what we would soon call smart devices or smartphones or such were beginning to manifest because I had a phone that I could get text updates from the news and entertainment stuff. And it just came to me in the form of like regular texts. And then I'd scroll through them like such. And now, of course, with iPhones and Android and all that, it's, it's much more com- uh, complex. But I just remember reading a review of Jane Silent Bob Strike Back and how it was set up to be this, uh, you know, ultimate love letter to his fans or something like that. And the reviewers said, this is paraphrased with the exception of the, of the word fart, but he said, uh, it, it came across like a bare-ass fart in the face of his fans. And I'm like, I actually think Kevin Smith's fans would take a bare-ass fart from Kevin Smith in the face as, like, a compliment. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> I I think, from what I saw, I think this is brilliant, and I think Kevin Smith is the right guy to pull it off. I think there's going to be a lot of satire about the entire movement in Hollywood about reboots and remakes. Exactly, you know? yes, yeah. And, and and if you think about that and how we always are lamenting that here on this and our other sister podcasts through the lens of Kevin Smith's twisted geek vision, that just you've you've sold me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> and and it's it's I love the fact that there's all your standard Kevin Smith uh, troop in there. I mean, you, I, Matt Damon. I think the, I saw Ben Affleck. And of course, Jason Lee. And then others that are added that make sense, like the, the Tommy Chong scene. Well, they're both admittedly potheads. It makes sense to have Tommy Chong in it, doesn't it? I right, mean, yeah. So, I mean, I, I will hope Cheech shows up at some point, too, but I don't know. Um, though I've heard Cheech say publicly he's not he's not opposed to doing cameos with Tommy like that. You know, I mean, they're iconic, aren't they? So why not? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah Absolutely. Uh, it just, it looks, it looks hilarious to me. The thought of them being parents, you know, is that is in itself hilarious as well. Uh, I, and I just, you know, realize going into it, this is a Kevin Smith movie. It's going to be raunchy. It's going to be R rated. There's going to be a lot of sexual innuendo and, and drug use, but that's okay. Yeah. Kevin is one of us. And there is definitely a large segment of the geek world that are, Podheads and a little bit sophomoric in their sense of humor. And so he just happens to be the banner carrier for that section of the geek world. And that's fine, you know? Kevin Smith makes no bones about it. And I think his fans uh, know this because I do consider myself a Kevin Smith fan. I actually have a couple of his movies on, on DVD, among them the aforementioned Jane Salad Bob Strike Back. A lot of the dialogue that he'll have in his movies are conversations that he had in real life you know that whole thing of you know does a stormtrooper know how to install a toilet main and all that stuff and you know roofers personal politics building the death star you know that's all stuff he's actually had conversations about i think the reason my favorite kevin smith movie is dogma is because even with all the silliness we're talking about with his geekdom he is a pretty serious guy and that's a movie where it's the same thing, he, it's questions he's, he's asked himself, but it's about very serious topics like God and the nature of man, you know? <laughs> right. And, yep. and anything with Alan Rickman, 
Do mm-hmm. I need to say anything else? Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I will say this about Dogman. I enjoyed it too for for much the same reasons. Chris Jericho, uh, yes, the WWE uh, wrestler who's you know, helped start AW. Uh, he had the best summary about that movie because Chris Jericho makes no bones about it in real life. He's a pretty devout Christian in real life, and he watched it and he said, in the end, it's a pro God movie. You know, it is it's not. It's not butchering or making fun of faith. It's actually addressing some of the things that people do deal with. It just does it in a comedic fashion. Right, right. And, and you know, it, it's to talk about, to go back to our last episode where we talked about Selma Hayek. Uh, yeah, I can totally see her as the muse for, for, for oh, yeah. angels. And, <laughs> come on. That, I was like, yeah, she could, she could probably inspire me in ways I don't even want to think about. You know? Right. Now, the last on my list of trailers here, and I know you're not the biggest Trekker here, but I, I think you can keep up uh, with this at least, is Star Trek Picard. Now, I'll be honest with you, I haven't seen Discovery. Uh, now that it's out there on Amazon or in DVD form or whatever, I will probably check it out that way. Because Discovery is one of those, it seems to be a little bit polarizing. There's people that love it and there's people that, that don't like it. But Picard, it seems to be almost universally accepted because a quick summary of Star Trek The Next Generation, the last episode of that series shortly before the movie Generations came out was called All Good Things. That actually ends on the same note or in the same place as Encounter at Farpoint, which is the series premiere. So it's bookended with the same area there's you know it it, it ends right. with Picard talking to to Q and all that stuff but one of the things they showed is 20 some years in the future Picard is retired and he has a farm that he got from his family and he's uh, a vintner or you know making wine and such and that's what you see in this trailer is we're now approximately 20 years after the last Star Trek movie and here he is very much in that same environment that was foretold. Now, there are a couple cameos in it that people weren't expecting. I mean, he does have essentially the parts of Data, because Data, for lack of a better term, died in Nemesis. And the stinger at the end, we were talking about before about surprises, is we do see Seven of Nine uh, face-to-face with them at the end. So we're getting some of the other Star Trek characters as well. So this definitely looks far more interesting to me than Discovery does because we are actually getting more in the future and less in the past. I mean, yes, it is a continuation of the 30-year-old series, but most Star Trek fans that I know, we want to go farther in the future, not redo the past. So I I know I have certainly enough Star Trek fans that can as friends that can vouch for that. So you as a as a non-Trekker, I mean, did, was there anything that grabbed you about the trailer, or did you did you watch it? Or I haven't watched it, but I, I probably will watch the series, even though I'm not a Trekkie. Mm-hmm. I do have a soft spot in my heart for Picard. I yes. just first of all I like Patrick Stewart, and, and might I add for our obligatory Doctor Who reference this episode, how did the people who make Doctor Who not try to get Patrick Stewart to be a doctor at some point? <laughs> he would be perfect. Yeah. Oh yeah, he's and he's British, so it works. You know. But anyway, I digress. There's our obligatory Doctor Who reference. Uh, I've told you off mic, my favorite Star Trek captain is actually Cisco. I actually enjoyed Deep Space Nine uh, because of the, the, the idea of this uh, being a space station that is meant to be Switzerland, essentially. Neutrality for all the different races. To me, my understanding of what Gene Roddenberry was trying to tell with the Star Trek mythos, it, that fit it the best. But I know I'm in the minority. I know that there are the devout you know, Picard camp and there's the devout Kirk camp and Cisco's usually probably number three behind that you know right uh but with that being said I can see why everybody loves Picard because everybody loves Kirk I love both of them I think they're I'm a geek so I get the fact why these guys are iconic geek characters you know Mm -hmm. and um it's Picard I think more than anybody including Cisco just brought it up you know regal we've already used the word regal so maybe an uh, austerity you know, or a uh, uh, gravitas to the role of a Federation captain that nobody else, including Bill Shatner, brought, you know. And so that that's kind of cool to me. 
and and I'm with you. I think that that's what I know of 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 Trekkies. They would much rather see something in the future in the past. But with that being said, I never watched it. But my friends who are diehard Trekkies have said they really enjoyed, you know, the Scott Bakula vehicle Enterprise, and that they wish it had got another season or two. And it it's way in the in the past. It's the you know only what probably thirty years in the future from now. Right. With the building of the Enterprise. So it's not saying that the, the past stories, the backstories, the prequels can't be done. That just seemed to be the only one that, that really – that I know of with my fin- friends that are fans of the series really struck a chord with. you know. Mm-hmm. But I, I think this will be gangbusters. It was really cool. I did see some of the panel. It was really cool to see how emotional Patrick Stewart got because I think one of the great things about being a geek – we've talked about it all the time – is how devout we are as fans. We're very loyal and we are very knowledgeable to the point where we can really get on actors and actresses nerves. Cause we know so much about the stuff they're in. We know more than they do and they're playing the roles. And I, I don't know if Patrick Stewart had ever really sensed about the, the effect he had had on, on so many people in this one particular role. And I think at his age, where you're beginning to become introspective and you know look back on your life because you've got more days behind you than you got ahead of you. Um, I think it was neat to see him get a little emotional and realize, wow, I if I don't if I never if I don't act in anything else the rest of my life, you know, this has really touched people and that's amazing. And I think as an actor, that's probably a major motivator for most actors. I know it's part of what my motivation was as a wrestler, just to entertain people, to, to, to have that legacy and leave something where people go, man, that dude entertained me. You know, that guy, that guy, you know, when I was down in my life or I needed an escape, that dude was there for me, even if it was just for an hour, once a week, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, let's be honest, as great as he is, he's been knighted. He's done Shakespearean stuff. When all said and done, when we hear the the unfortunate news coming across the newswire that we've lost Patrick Stewart, that's going to be the first thing the news stories mention. Best known for playing Captain Jean-Luc Picard in Star Trek The Next Generation. That's what Mm -hmm. he's going to be most known for. I say that all the time as a horror guy about Robert England. For all the great things Robert England has done in his career, and he's he's done Shakespeare in the park. He's always going to be Freddy Krueger. That's what he's going to be most known for. And and I think if you can find that one role, that one thing, uh, you know, as an actor that just transcends stuff and it even it becomes a part of like pop culture, you've really done something. And Patrick Stewart has done that with Picard. So yeah. kudos to them. I think it's going to be a hit. Um, and I think that it's going to be one of those shows that the casuals like me will enjoy, but will be a love letter to the hardcore fans like you. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, agreed. That wraps up everything uh, I wanted to talk about. Were there any, I, I know you said we'll talk some more horror stuff come the next Examining the Dead, but was there any panel or any other trailer that caught your eye? No, no, it's all it's all horror stuff, you know, mm-hmm. Creep Show and It Chapter Two and things of that nature. So we'll save those for our horror specific. But um, I, I'm I'm I think of all these movies, the one I'm probably the most excited to see is probably James Bond's <laughs> reboot. Just because I, I, I also th- is, am I wrong in thinking this is the first major film that Kevin's done since the Heart Attack? I believe you may be right. Yeah. So that that in and of itself, because I've seen him do a lot of interviews since his recovery, it he's still Kevin Smith, but you have a brush with death like that, it does kind of change your perspective on things. So I'm kind of kind of interested to see. If we can pick up moments of that in that movie. For that, for nothing else, has got me fascinated. All right, we're going to wrap it up here for this edition of Geekville Radio. Uh, we got some more content coming around the corner soon. I am diving into the Batman Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles crossover in both comic and DVD form. So I'll be giving a report on that soon. And once again, the website is geekvilleradio.com. The social media is... Facebook at Geekville Radio and Twitter at Geekville Radio. So let us know what you like. Let us know what you don't like. Give us a follow. Give us a subscribe. Give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or whatever you get your podcast from because I'm always looking for ways to improve and I always accept feedback, especially when it is genuine. So even bad feedback, I welcome. Now, Train, if anybody wants to talk to you about anything we've talked about here, where can they find you? 
I'm always available on Twitter at crazytrain underscore JB. Right. With that, we're going to shut down the power here in the Geekville Radio studios. We'll be talking to you folks sooner rather than later. And uh, looking forward to talking to folks again next time. Geekville Radio is not sponsored or endorsed by any product or company unless specifically stated. The views expressed by the hosts and or guests are purely their own and do not represent the views of geekvilleradio.com, a1-wrestling.com, or any affiliates. Some media used on Geekville Radio is the respective copyright of its publishers, all rights reserved. Even if it only happens once, just once, for that Crisis and Infinite Earth crossover, I just want to hear this transition. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to hear Ted Knight going, Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice. (laughs) Yeah.